So I was at the International Space Center in Houston, Texas, when I started seeing online um, the topic of Pete Buttigieg, the transportation secretary, taking two months of paternity leave. And when I first saw this topic, to be honest, I thought it was just a random headline. Like, Pete Buttigieg is not that good of a transportation secretary, obviously. It's weird that he's taking two months of paternity leave, but whatever. I thought it was going to be one of those stories that I kind of saw, and then it quickly passed. Well... As it turns out, this is quite the controversy, and I think conservatives are reacting to this in the wrong way. And here's what I mean. Conservatives are criticizing Secretary Pete Buttigieg for taking two months of paternity leave six months into the job during a transportation crisis in our country. The supply chain is breaking down. They're criticizing him for taking paternity leave, but that's all they're saying. They're saying, how could you be absent the way that you're absent during a crisis? Why do you need two months off of a job when you're only six months in? And that's where they're stopping their criticism. And so what happens when you stop your criticism right there is it leaves this door open for the left to say, but Republicans, I thought you were the party of the family. I thought you were pro-life and pro-family, and you claim not just to be pro-birth, but to be pro-babies and pro-children after birth. Why, especially you conservatives who blame absent black fathers for part of the problem in the black community, why are you criticizing Pete Buttigieg for being a father to his brand new baby twins? And in a sense, this sounds like a valid argument because it is a valid argument if that's all we're talking about. But what conservatives don't want to say or what a lot of conservatives seem like they aren't saying right now, they're only taking the argument halfway. The problem here is a little bit that Pete Buttigieg is taking two months of paternity leave when he's one in one of the highest, most powerful positions in our country. That seems excessive because we're in the middle of a crisis. It also seems excessive six months into a job it's maybe, not, it's maybe not a good look in that sense, but the root of the problem here, the root of the problem here, and this is what conservatives are afraid to say, and they shouldn't be because there's nothing hateful, there's nothing intolerant about this. The root of the problem here is that it's an unnatural situation because Pete Buttigieg and his husband, Chasten, adopted or used in vitro fertilization, I don't know, they didn't reveal it publicly, two infant babies, two twins, a boy and a girl, and that's wonderful. Every human life is wonderful. The babies themselves are wonderful. But what Pete Buttigieg is doing, he is, he's not just taking paternity leave to be a father. He's taking this leave because these babies don't have a mother to take care of them. Pete Buttigieg and his husband are depriving these children of a mother. Now, I know what some people will say. Some people will say, well, they have two loving adults who want to love them and raise them and give them a good life. Don't you want that for the children? And what I would say is, maybe. It depends on the situation. Because I know there are a lot of children whose parents make bad decisions for their lives. There are a lot of children who aren't given the best life by their parents, and that's not a good thing, but it's also not entirely the government's role to come in unless there's severe abuse, severe neglect, and take children away from parents. So a lot of parents make bad decisions for their kids. We see this all the time. We see obese kids, we see disobedient kids, we see kids who um, aren't given the love and the attention they need, but it's not to the level that the government should take them away. So that being said, Pete Buttigieg and his husband, Chasten, sure, they might love these babies. They probably do. I wouldn't want to accuse them otherwise. Of course, they love the babies, but they are depriving these babies of a mother. They're depriving these babies of something that's fundamental to these babies' existence. These babies could not come into the world without a mother. Now, if they had been ad adopted from a situation that was a tragedy and Pete and Chasten were rescuing them from a fate that was... Um, even worse, we'll say, a fate that um, they would have been deprived of any parentage, any love, then fine, that's fine. You can adopt a baby into a non-ideal situation if the situation um, pre-adoption would have been even worse. But to create new life 
knowing that the situation is not ideal, knowing that you're going to be depriving these children of a mother, maybe even depriving these children of a mother, I, I mean, it, it's, like I said, it's unnatural. And conservatives don't want to say this because they don't want to come off as homophobic. They don't want to come off as intolerant. They don't want to come off as anything negative that the left will call them. And I don't mean it homophobically. I don't mean it intolerantly. I have nothing against Pete Buttigieg or his husband, Chasten. I'm a Catholic, so everyone knows where I stand on the idea of gay marriage. But that's not a commentary on Pete himself or Chasten himself. You know what they say, hate the sin, love the sinner. Um, but they are doing something that is unnatural. They're depriving these children of their mother. And I think that's why conservatives are reacting the way that they are reacting. But conservatives won't actually say it. So a lot of conservatives are walking into this trap where they do come off as sounding like they are anti-family, sounding as if they don't want Pete Buttigieg to take family leave, sounding as if it um, is non-supportive. They're being non-supportive of an act, a father active in his children's life. And that's simply not the case. So the theme of the show is the untouchable topics because a lot of conservatives are still afraid to talk about um, the reality of situations that we're facing in this country. Up next, we're going to talk about Colin Powell speaking of the untouchable topics. I'm Liz Wheeler. Welcome to The Liz Wheeler Show. All right, Colin Powell died um, in the last couple days, and you might notice that this is another topic that conservatives didn't weigh in as much as you would think that they might have, given how high-profile Colin Powell was in the Bush administration, you know, Secretary of Defense, joint Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. I mean, this guy, Colin Powell, was very instrumental in the Iraq War. I mean, we all know his history, his dossier here. And conservatives were surprisingly quiet when Colin Powell died of COVID-19 this past weekend. All deaths are a tragedy. You know, I pray for the repose of his soul, and I pray for his family in their time of grief. Um, but I want to talk about an aspect of Colin Powell's death that conservatives seem a little reticent to talk about. And we're, we're going to talk about it in a second. But first, I want to talk to you about Truebill. Do you know why free trials for subscription services renew without your consent? Well, essentially, it's just a business scam, a business scam that's out to get you. So my message to you today is this. Don't let greedy corporations pocket your money. There's a solution to this problem. The solution is called Truebill. Truebill is a new app that helps you identify and then stop paying for subscriptions that you don't need, you don't want, or if you're like me, you simply forget about until you see on your credit card bill month after month after month. On average, people save up to $720 a year with Truebill. Because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel on purpose, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. You just link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscription in just one tap. Or your Truebill concierge there when you need them will cancel it, your unwanted subscriptions for you so you don't have to. So download Truebill to take control of your subscriptions. They've helped 2 million users save over $100 million. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash Liz. Go right now, Truebill.com slash Liz. It could save you thousands of dollars a year. Truebill.com slash Liz. Uh, it really works. It's really cool. I highly recommend it. Okay. Let's talk about Colin Powell for a second. As I said, maybe a controversial topic because he's a controversial man. The mainstream media paint Colin Powell as a Republican, but the, the truth of the matter is publicly, Colin Powell has not voted for a Republican candidate for president since I think 2004. 
So officially, his voter registration was affiliated with the Republican Party from 1995 to 2021. I think Colin Powell left the Republican Party officially this past January, January 2021. But from 1995 to 2004 is essentially the only years that Colin Powell claims that he even voted for a Republican president. So when the mainstream media paint this man as a Republican, they're doing it on purpose. They're doing it because Colin Powell was never Trump. He was very critical of President Trump and everything President Trump did. They paint the mainstream media paint Colin Powell as a Republican because Colin Powell voted not only for Barack Obama in 2008, he voted for him again in 2012 for his re-election campaign, even after we knew how divisive, how partisan, how radically left Barack Obama was in office. But the mainstream media wants you to believe that this, this is how to be a good Republican. Colin Powell was also pro-abortion and he was pro-gun control. So I don't know exactly what part of Colin Powell the mainstream media want to believe is a Republican, but all of the headlines today are Colin Powell, uh, there's no room for Colin Powell conservatives in the Republican Party. Well, Perhaps that's true because Colin Powell's ideology, notwithstanding his voter registration, wasn't Republican. He was actually a very classic Democrat here. The only association he had with Republicans was the fact that he served during the Bush administration overseeing the Iraq war. So this idea that Colin Powell was some kind of Republican, to me, is just a tactic from the left because that's what they want Republicans to be. They want Republicans to be Democrats. They want Republicans to be Democrats. But that's only the first point that I have to make. The second point that I have to make here is that Colin Powell died of COVID-19. This is sad. COVID-19 is a dangerous virus for the elderly and for those with pre-existing conditions and who are immunocompromised. Colin Powell fought, fell into all three of these categories. He was 84 years old. He was immunocompromised because of a pre-existing condition. He was being treated for blood cancer. This is a tragedy. This is the demographic of individual who are at risk from COVID-19. So let's just, let's just get that right out there, right out there on the table. And I'm very sorry for his family. I'm praying for his family. I'm praying for the repose of his soul. I, it's sad when anybody dies, especially someone high profile, especially of something um, that people are afraid of or something that's tragic. But he did fall into the risk categories. So Colin Powell was very famously vaccinated. He had had two uh, two shots. I have. I don't know if it was the Pfizer or the Moderna, but he had had two shots. He was fully vaccinated, and yet he died. And this is where conservatives and Republicans um, seem to be shying away from this. This is why, or this is the area in which the Colin Powell story becomes the untouchable topic once again. Because if you'll remember back to last year, when Herman Cain, former Republican presidential candidate Herman Cain, died of COVID-19, the mainstream media portrayed Herman Cain's death as follows. Trump supporting Herman Cain, unvaccinated, attended a Trump rally, and days later contracted COVID and died. Essentially, what was in the parentheses after the headlines was, ha, 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 you got what you deserved. That's how the mainstream media and the left presented Herman Cain's death, okay? So then fast forward to this year, and Colin Powell dies from complications of COVID-19 at 84 years old while he's immunocompromised because he's being treated for COVID-19. And the mainstream media doesn't mention anything about his vaccination status. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing whatsoever about his vaccination status. In fact, there were actually some comments that I saw on Twitter that said, well, Colin Powell wasn't fully vaccinated because he was immunocompromised, because he was in that high-risk category. He should have had his booster jab. So was he really vaccinated? And I just don't get this. I don't get why the mainstream media and the Democrats, well, maybe the Democrats I get more than the mainstream media, but I don't get why the mainstream media 
are so dead set on defending a vaccine that didn't work for Colin Powell. The CDC director herself said that it doesn't prevent transmission anymore. We know that this vaccine reacts differently to the Delta variant than it did to last year's variant, the original COVID-19 variant. There's nothing wrong with noting this. There's nothing wrong with acknowledging this. There's nothing wrong with noticing that if you look at hospital records, if you look at COVID death tolls, you're starting to see fully vaccinated people are starting to die of the Delta variant. Now, again, most of the demographics of the people who are dying, vaccinated or unvaccinated, are still elderly people, obese people, or people who are immunocompromised at high risk because of pre-existing conditions. All of that remains the same, but I don't understand why it is this untouchable topic to be able to look objectively at the scientific data, look at what's happening to people, and say this vaccine is not protecting against the Delta variant the way that it was promised to do so. Why is this not okay to say? Well, the answer for at least Democrats, and the mainstream media, we should push on this. But for Democrats, of course, they have gone so far left on this vaccine. They have doubled down on their mandates so hard. They've made this culture of shaming. They've made it everyone's business, what your personal health decisions are, that they can't backtrack. They can't backtrack. All they can do is double down, even if it means that they're essentially lying now, lying by omission, by not acknowledging that the COVID-19 vaccine's effectiveness is very different for last year's variant versus this year's variant. And Colin Powell is the perfect example of this. Again, may he rest in peace. I pray for the repose of his soul. I don't think he was a Republican, but Republicans are unwilling to actually talk about this, even though the mainstream media, the mainstream media and the left politicized Herman Cain's death in a um, in a manner that was dishonest, that was disingenuous, that was nasty. I'm not saying that we should do the same thing. I am saying that we should point out the facts. And so that's what I will do if nobody else will. Meanwhile, we have Dennis Prager. Um, I know Prager, by the way. Our producer just directed a fantastic documentary for Dennis Prager. You know, he's a giant in the conservative movement. We're all privileged um, to know and admire and listen to the wisdom of Dennis Prager. And he announced that this week that he tested positive for COVID-19. This is what he said. By the way, Prager is 74 years old, just so you know. So he's in that higher risk category. He's not, he wasn't as, he, he's not as old as Colin Powell was, but 74 years old is still in the age bracket that you are higher at higher risk for COVID-19 complications or fatalities. But Dennis Prager announced, he said, I tested positive for COVID last week and I've been steadily improving He actually was still doing his show while he was sick. He was just filming it from home. He said, at no point was I in danger of hospitalization. So then, this is the really interesting part. And fortunately, thank God, by the way, that Dennis Prager is doing all right. Dennis, I'm very happy to hear that you are doing so well. And I appreciate um, you sharing your story and the courage it takes in this era of um, COVID shaming and um, shaming you if you're a COVID, not a COVID skeptic, but a skeptic of the Fauci narrative of COVID-19. I appreciate you sharing exactly what you did for your health. This is what this is what Prager did. He said, I have received monoclonal antibodies. That's Regeneron. I have, of course, for years, a year and a half, not years, been taking hydroxychloroquine from the beginning with zinc. I've taken ZPAC, uh, zithromycin, as the Zelenko protocol would have it. I have taken ivermectin. Um, this is very interesting to me. This is very interesting to me because this man is 74 years old and he actually said that he feels relieved to have gotten COVID because he knows that the natural immunity from COVID versus the artificially induced immunity 
um, from the vaccine is 27 times more effective. So he said he's been shaking hands, he's been going to events. He's known that he's put himself at risk of contracting COVID. And he said he's relieved that he got it so that now he has natural immunity to it. But this is another untouchable subject. No one in the media wants to report on whether Dennis Prager got the vaccine or not. He did not, by the way. He openly says he did not. What he did therapeutic-wise to treat COVID-19, he did all of this alternative protocol. And when I say alternative, those of us who are actually crunchy about medicine, this, this stuff isn't even alternative. This is pharmaceutical interventions, and it looks like they work. They've worked for so many people, but it's not even alternative or crunchy or weird as far as uh, alternative healthcare goes. Believe me, believe me, I would know. Um, as someone who uh, is crunchy in the way that I diffuse eucalyptus and lavender when I'm sick. That's the kind of crunch. That's crunchy. That's alternative. This stuff is um, pharmaceutical therapeutic, pharmaceutical intervention. But the media doesn't want to talk about this. It's untouchable. It's unmentionable because it contradicts the Fauci narrative. I mean, come on. This could save people's lives if we actually said, well, when you first are diagnosed with COVID, you should do the following things. A, B, C. Don't just count on a vaccine that doesn't stop transmission and increasingly isn't even stopping fatality. Do something that we know works. But the mainstream media is so tied to the Democratic Party and the Democratic Party are so tied to their narrative, they're not even willing to talk about success stories if it doesn't fall in line with the Fauci narrative. And that, it's not just a shame. It's not just sad, it's sick. Because these are people's lives at stake. Okay, so speaking of the unvaccinated, um, the deputy treasury secretary in the Biden administration, I can't even say this, I can't even tease this with a straight face because it is so absurd, so ridiculous. Um, the deputy treasury secretary in the Biden administration is actually blaming unvaccinated people for all of those container ships off the coast of California. Remember last week when we were talking about that? I actually, and it's not just California, by the way. I flew out of D.C. just this weekend, and when we were flying out of D.C., I saw a backup of, um, of these container ships off the coast. This is everywhere. We, are, we have this brittle supply chain that is about to break because of political decisions made by the Biden administration, and the Treasury Secretary, you won't even believe what he says, blaming the unvaccinated. I'm going to show you that in just a second, but first, I want to talk to you about Lucy Lucy Nicotine is a company founded by Caltech scientists and former smokers looking for a better and a cleaner nicotine alternative. Finally, tobacco alternatives that don't suck. Researched and developed for three years to be made for people, not patients, Lucy has created a nicotine gum with four milligrams of nicotine. They also have a lozenge with four milligrams of nicotine. It's convenient and better yet, it is discreet. Products can be enjoyed anywhere, on flights, at work, on the go, or even at the gym. Guys, it's 2021. Get rid of your cigarettes, unplug your vape, throw out your dip, and get some Lucy nicotine gum or lozenges. This is the real deal. A subscription to Lucy comes directly to your door each month. It's so simple, and you don't have to leave your house because Lucy has delivery down. Liz Wheeler Show listeners, go to lucy.co and use promo code Liz to get 20% off all products on your first order, including gum or lozenges. That's lucy.co and use promo code Liz at checkout. Also, I have to give this disclaimer, warning, this product contains nicotine derived from tobacco. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. So go to lucy.co and be sure to use that promo code Liz. You will get 20% off your first order. You deserve it. It's good for you. Do it. 
Okay, so the Labor Department just this past week said the consumer price index has gone up by over 5% um, from September of this year to, from September of last year to September of this year. 5.4% to be precise. We all know this. This is very obvious. You go to the gas station, it's extremely expensive to fill up your car. You go to the grocery store, it's expensive to buy milk and to buy meat. You, for me, I try to buy baby diapers and it's like twice as expensive as it was last year. It's in, absolutely insane. 5.4% year uh, compared to this time last year. Energy prices have gone up 1.3%. Um, they're Just in September, they've gone up 1.3%. Energy prices are up 24.8% over just the past year. Insane, absolutely insane. And this is just about to go into a winter, by the way. Um, we all know this. Beef prices up 17%. Eggs have climbed 10.5%. Outrageous. So what does this do to? What has caused this? Whose fault is this? Whose choices led to this? We have to be able to answer those questions if we want to know what to do to fix this problem. Well, well, aren't we glad we asked this question? The Deputy Treasury Secretary, his name is Wally Adnimo. This is what he said. The reality is the only way we're going to get to a place where we work through this transition, pause for just a second, transition, they're calling this a transitional economy, which absolutely freaks me out because what to what are we transitioning? From what are we transitioning and to what are we transitioning? Because from what, the answer to that question is a free market, capitalistic society that has been so prosperous, it has pulled more people out of poverty, not just in our country, but around the world than any other economic system in the history of the world. So that is from what are we transitioning to what are we transitioning? Are we trying to transition to a socialist nation? to a nation where we're used to rationing, we're used to shortages, where government is king instead of the market. I would absolutely love for Deputy Treasury Secretary Wally Adnimo to answer this question because he says the reality is the only way we're going to get to a place where we work through this transition is if everyone in America and everyone around the world gets vaccinated. <laughs> what? What? How on earth does someone's vaccine status have to do with the supply chain, brittle, this brittle supply chain issues that are causing a traffic jam of container ships off of the coast of LA? It doesn't make sense. This is what these politicians do. See, there's a difference between the devastation that has been wrought by COVID-19 itself, something that has been impacted by the virus itself. There's a difference between that and the mandates, the dictates, the lockdowns, the policies that politicians have imposed in the name of COVID-19. Those are two very different things. Because a result, a consequence of COVID-19 is that you get sick. You miss a couple of weeks of work if you're a healthy young person. Maybe it's more serious if you're older. Maybe you go to the hospital, God forbid, you're a fatality. That's a direct result of COVID-19 itself. What is not a direct result of COVID-19, but rather a direct result of political choices is you not having a business to go back to once you've recovered from COVID-19. Is you not being allowed to go to church during COVID-19. Of you not being allowed to do your job because of social distancing dictates, because of politicians in the name of COVID-19. So let's be very clear here. When this deputy treasury secretary says that the only solution to this is that everyone around the world and in America gets vaccinated, what he is doing is he is acting like 
a terrorist holding someone hostage, meaning we'll give you back your economy when you give us what you want, what we want. And what we want is for you to be vaccinated. So our political choices, he's saying, are going to hurt you until you do what we want. That's what he's saying. It's not because this jab in the arm will magically unclog the traffic jam. No, no. He's saying until people get vaccinated, which is what the government wants you to do, until people get vaccinated, they're going to keep these destructive policies that are harming our economy, harming the world economy, causing these prices to go up, 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 while you don't have the capacity to make the money that you once made because your business has gone under or your job has been cut. This is so insane that we, the American people, are would stand for this, would allow this. It's so insane to me that elected Republicans who call themselves conservatives would not say, hold the phone, hold on there a second, and actually dissect what this man is saying. Actually dissect the difference between the consequences of COVID-19 and the consequences of COVID-19 policy choices by politicians. Because it's the policy choices that have devastated our country and have devastated our economy. But of course, the Biden administration doesn't want you to know that. No, no, the liberals are actually doubling down on this. There was an article that I read um, earlier this morning in the Washington Post. And it's so crazy what the Washington Post publishes these days. So crazy. They, I actually like to read the Washington Post because they're so nuts, sometimes it makes me laugh. So there's this woman named uh, Michelin Maynard. She's an author and contributing columnist at the Washington Post, and she is literally lecturing people in her latest column. Again, it's hard not to laugh reading this, except that it is representative of the Democrats' ideology right now, and the Democrats' ideology is so destructive, well, you really can't laugh at it because it would hurt us and our families and our country. But Maynard um, is telling people, she's telling us in the face of these 10 and almost 20% increases in the price of goods and services that we need on a regular basis, energy prices, gasoline, food, meat, milk, eggs, diapers, whatever it may be, she's saying that we should stop whining. Yep, we're the whiners, she said. She's pointing the finger at us. She's not pointing the finger at the Biden administration for shutting down commerce. She's not pointing the finger at the Biden administration for vaccine mandates. She's not pointing the finger at the Biden administration for misrepresenting the risk of COVID to the vast majority of people in our country, which had it not been misrepresented would not have stopped our economy the way that it has. No, no. She's saying that we're the whiners. We, the problem is us. It's our expectations. Let me read you what she said. You'll fully appreciate my rant then. She says, quote, across the country, Americans' expectations of speedy service and easy access to consumer products have been crushed like a styrofoam container in a trash compactor. Time for some new, more realistic expectations. Pause. Again, this is just like the Treasury Secretary when he's talking about this transitional economy. This idea that we need to um, reorient ourselves or re-educate ourselves is really creepy. It's really creepy, and I outright reject it. I do not want our economy to change. I do not want America to be fundamentally transformed like Barack Obama promised so long ago. No, no, no thank you. She goes on to say, uh, fast food is less fast. A huge flotilla of container ships is stuck offshore in California waiting to unload. Shelves normally stocked with Halloween candy this time of year are empty, as I saw the other day at a Target here in Ann Arbor, Michigan. American consumers, their expectations pampered and catered to for decades are not accustomed to inconvenience. Customers' persistent whine 
Why don't they just hire more people? Sounds feeble in this era of the great resignation, especially in industries such as food service, with reputations for being tough places to work. Rather than living constantly on the verge of throwing a fit and risking taking it out on overwhelmed servers, struggling shop owners, or late arriving delivery people, we'd do ourselves a favor by consciously lowering expectations, end quote. Oh dear God. Oh dear Lord. This woman, I is, this woman is making excuses for Democrat politicians who want to shift to socialism. I actually, this surprised me. So what I thought would happen when people like AOC burst onto the scene or when Bernie Sanders got very popular with his Feel the Burn movement, what I thought would happen is in select locations where these sort of socialist policies took place, maybe it would be Fight for 15, maybe it would be universal basic income, maybe it would be this bloated welfare system, um, what I thought would happen is as cities and towns and maybe here and there a very blue state adopted these policies, people would realize that they would make less money, they would have less access to healthcare, goods and services would be more expensive, they'd have fewer freedoms, and the overall prosperity and well-being in their lives and their families' lives and their businesses and their communities and their churches and their cities, the quality of that would all go down. And I thought surely when this starts impacting people personally, they'll change their minds on it. That's what states actually are supposed to be. They're supposed to be laboratories of democracy. Now, I don't think that includes socialism, but for the sake of this argument, we should try things in one area and see that they don't work. And then we don't have to disseminate them naturally. Now, I'm not saying that Manier, this author at the Washington Post, has actually felt the impacts of socialism. I doubt she has. She works for the Washington Post. She's probably upper crust elite. Um, that's why she works for them. So perhaps she has not been personally impacted by this. But it is shocking to see how many leftists are excusing the fact that their policies make people's lives worse, make people's lives harder, make people's lives more difficult, make prosperity take a dip that we haven't seen in a long time. They're excusing this and blaming us as if we're spoiled little brats because we like a free market capitalistic economy that does cater to our needs. And let's, let's make this very clear. When you have a market economy that quote unquote caters to your needs, what it means is that someone is bringing a good or service to the market that you want, and by consuming that good or service, you are not only benefiting yourself, you are benefiting the person that brought it to the market. It is a mutually beneficial arrangement in our market. So it's not like we have this servant class who aren't benefiting from all these rich, fat people gobbling up all these services. No, it's a mutually beneficial economy. And the only people that are, the only elitists that are taking advantage of um, a lower income class are the Democrats who are doing this to the American people, who are shutting down commerce with their vax mandates, with their minimum wage, with their social distancing, with their forced closures. This is the fault of Democrats' choices. And no, we shouldn't be quiet about it. Of course, we shouldn't be quiet about it. This isn't something that's happening to us arbitrarily. It didn't just fall out of the sky and happen to us. It's happening to us as a direct result of the political choices made by Joe Biden, period. So no, I'm not gonna lower my expectations. I'm not gonna lower my expectations of our economy. I'm going to raise my expectation for politicians. Please, uh, Maynard, Ms. Maynard, please join me by raising my expectation of politicians instead of making excuses for their failures. So 
Senator Ted Cruz and Michael knows very nicely. Um, I was very honored. They invited me to go on tour with them with Verdict. You know, Ted Cruz's show, Senator Ted Cruz's show, Verdict with Ted Cruz. Um, they invited me to go on tour with them over the past week. We went to college campuses all across the country. We went up to Wisconsin, to the University of Wisconsin-Madison, which you all know is just a uh, liberal cesspool up there. We went to Texas A&M a little bit different audience in the crowd there than at the University of Wisconsin. We went to Catholic University in Washington, D.C., and it was really quite interesting to note the cultural differences because we were up, you know, in the upper Midwest, then we were down in Texas, then we were in Washington, D.C., and even the student body, the audience at these three schools, they were all great, but they were very different. They were very different audiences. Um, and the turnout was absolutely enormous. I think at Catholic University, they had something like 20, we had something like 20% of the entire undergrad student body in the crowd at this live taping of Verdict. It was um, I, the, the Young America's Foundation chapter there were the ones that put on the event. And the chapter chair told me that this was the largest political event that Catholic University had hosted in history. And I think she wanted to verify that before um, before it went to press, but I'm telling you because she told me. And that's simply incredible. It was such an honor to be a part of it. But the tour actually started out in quite a funny way because we went up to the University of Wisconsin-Madison first, and we actually didn't end up speaking on the campus of the University of Wisconsin-Madison because at the last minute, the provost of the school um, tried to issue a mask mandate, not just for the students, which is bad enough. They tried to issue a mask mandate for those of us on stage for those of us presenting, for those of us speaking, for those of us performing, those on stage were told that we had to wear a mask. And thank goodness, we said, absolutely not. This is absurd. We will not comply with this. So we found another venue and spoke to a packed house, um, packed house there at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And all the students, I think, they're such freedom fighters on campus. They are the reason that we not only go there, but they are the hope for the future. So if you're ever feeling discouraged, then meet up with a chapter of Young America's Foundation on college campuses and you will start to feel encouraged and reinvigorated because they're fighting the fight on campus in the midst of liberal academia, which has been hijacked basically by Marxists. Um, they're there for the right reason. And it was my privilege to be a part of this tour, my privilege to be to be part of this show um, that was that to be to be a voice essentially for these students because they were literally trying to muzzle us. Um, meanwhile, it was not only fun not to wear a mask off of this campus, um, I said at the time, I don't think that we have to wear masks anymore because uh, Biden doesn't wear masks. So why should I if Biden doesn't have to? Look at these pictures. This was in Washington, D.C. just this past weekend. Biden is violating the mandate, the law that says that you have to wear a mask indoors. And clearly, Biden is not doing that. Dr. Jill, Dr. Jill Biden is not wearing a mask either. And... This is just a pattern, right? How many times are we gonna see this? These Democrat politicians who issue these mandates tell us what we are allowed to do or not allowed to do, then violate them themselves. I mean, there's such a long list of people. There's Newsom, there's the mayor of Washington, D.C., there's the mayor of San Francisco. I mean, literally the list goes on and on and on. There's Nancy Pelosi, now Biden. But this is the funny part. Jen Psaki, press secretary, actually defended Biden. Yep. Instead of saying, well, he did it wrong, he violated it, yep. Maybe even having him apologize or something. I don't know. I don't know how you handle hypocrisy like this, but certainly you don't handle it the way that Jen Psaki did. Take a listen to this. Go ahead. 
Thank you, Jen. Uh, there is a mask requirement inside D.C. restaurants, yet President Biden and the First Lady were not wearing masks while walking around a D.C. restaurant on Saturday. Why? Well, I think what we are referring to is a photo of them walking out of a restaurant after they they had eaten masks in hand where they had not yet put them back on yet. So I would say, of course, uh, there are moments when we all don't put masks back on as quickly as we should. But I don't think we should lose, miss, lose the forest through the trees here and that our objective here is to get more people vaccinated, make sure that, uh, that schools and companies around the country can put in place requirements to save more lives and keep people safer uh, and you know, not overly focus on moments in time that don't reflect overarching policy. It was not just exiting the restaurant, though. He was walking through the restaurant with no mask on. There is a carve-out for uh, people under two or people who are actively eating or drinking. So I'm just curious why the president was doing this. I think I just addressed it, Peter. Oh, oh he just didn't put the mask on as quickly as we all ought to. Don't you love how she tries to turn this around on you? I, I actually said to my husband when we were traveling back from Washington, D.C., I thought about not wearing the mask on the plane because it's so annoying to wear them on the plane. But Buddha Judge makes us wear the masks on the plane or you're violating federal law. But how would he know? Because he's out on paternity leave. Anyway, I thought about saying if the flight attendant said anything to me about not wearing masks, I thought about just saying, well, you know, sometimes we don't put on masks as quickly as we ought to. But it's not the flight attendant's fault, so I didn't want to. I didn't want to bully the flight attendant. But it's it's just another exercise in hypocrisy. These people, these tyrants, don't even believe their own dictates. They just want us to play by one set of rules, and they do not have to follow them. And I don't think anything ticks me off more in politics than this division where the elite think that they don't have to follow the laws. This is actually something that's across party lines. No one likes a politician. No one likes a politician who plays by a different set of rules. And now Biden has joined the ranks. Terrible. Um, I do want to talk a little bit more about the airlines in just a second, um, because something very interesting happened in the past week in the airlines. Again, an untouchable topic. The mainstream media doesn't want to cover. But first, let me talk to you about Paint Your Life. PaintYourLife.com is just as cool as the name suggests. You literally get to turn your favorite memories into art that lasts forever. You can see here over my shoulder um, this lovely portrait of Sweet Ugly George. This is actually, this dog is our post-production manager, Victoria's hideous, ugly beast. But you can do the same thing. You can submit a picture, a photo of your most emotional life moment, and an artist paints it into a painting. It's such a meaningful gift for birthdays, anniversaries, weddings, you name it. It's actually very affordable, and it's really fast. You can receive your portrait in as little as two weeks. And like I said, you can send any picture. You can send a picture of yourself, your spouse, your children, your family, maybe a special place you like, someone you love, a cherished pet, an ugly dog, even an action shot of you or your children playing their favorite sport. There's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded guaranteed. And right now, it's a limited time offer. Get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, text the word Liz to 64,000. That's Liz to 64,000. L-I-Z to 64,000. PaintYourLife.com was designed to celebrate the moments that matter most, and it's a really incredible experience. I highly recommend it. I really like my painting, my portrait of sweet, ugly George. Okay, so one more thing to mention about the airline. So I flew, I traveled a lot this past week on tour with Verdict with Te, uh, Senator Ted Cruz, and while we were traveling, we got the news that the CEO of Delta 
said that there was no vaccine mandate at their company any longer. He called the vaccine mandate divisive. He said there was other strategies that they were employing to try to convince their employees to get the vaccine. And I know, by the way, there's a lot of criticism of other things the CEO of Delta has done because it's not just convincing people to get the vaccine. He's actually trying to coerce them. I think he's raising the health insurance, um, the monthly premiums on unvaccinated employees, $200 extra a month. I don't support any of that. So I by no means am endorsing him uh, whole hog here or outright. But I will say, this was one of the most exciting things that I have seen in a long time because the Delta, I think, is the first big company to outright flout Joe Biden's non-existent, meaning Joe Biden actually didn't issue an executive order, for his vaccine mandate, his OSHA mandate, that companies with over 100 employees must force their employees to be vaccinated. No other company, to my knowledge, has actually said, no, we won't do that, except for companies that are maybe inherently political. I believe the Daily Wire did that. I believe some other um, either right-leaning news organizations or political activist organizations have done that. But no big, big company that is not inherently political has done that. And this, on top of the Southwest pilots striking, and it was a strike, on top of the Southwest pilots striking over the vaccine mandate, the story, this, this hearing this from the CEO of Delta's mouth has given me more hope for people fighting back against tyrannical vaccine mandates than anything else in the past year and a half. Anything else. I think actually, and I'm guilty of this too, but I think we as conservatives made a mistake hoping that healthcare workers would rise up. And I know there are a lot of nurses, a lot of doctors, a lot of medical providers who are saying, no, I don't want to do this. But as an industry, the healthcare industry was maybe not the industry to count on to rise up because the industry, and I know this is a gross generalization, but the industry themselves are trained in the exact same um, medical model as those issuing the mandates, as the Fauci's. They're trained to simply accept as fact what they're told and not necessarily question it. And so to hope that the healthcare industry, who were the first subjects of these vaccine mandates, to hope that they would rise up was maybe a long shot hope. I was still hoping, and I appreciate all the nurses and doctors and PAs and NPs and all other kinds of healthcare workers who are as individuals rising up, but to hope that one of the companies would maybe wasn't realistic. But now, to hear Delta saying, we will not enforce the divisive vaccine mandate, that is what I like to hear. That, ladies and gentlemen, is uh, could be the turning point in this fight against tyrannical mandates as it, as it relates to COVID-19. I certainly hope so. So credit where it's due. I sincerely commend the CEO of Delta for doing this because I know they're risking their federal contracts uh, risking the renewal of their federal contracts, which I think are just 2 or 3% of their revenue. But still, that's still a very significant amount of money. Kudos to him, sincerely, for doing this. Because these vaccine mandates are not just a matter of personal medical freedom. They are, and they're a gross violation of our personal, our, it's not even medical freedom, it's just freedom over our own body. But they also, these vaccine mandates, have horrible downstream effects. And what I mean by this is in Rochester, New York, there is a, a hospital called Monroe Community Hospital. And in this hospital, they have a dialysis center for elderly, low-income patients. This dialysis center is closing. Why? Because of staffing, staffing issues. Why are they having staffing issues? Because of the vaccine mandate. So you have these elderly people, almost 20 of them, who say they have nowhere else to go for what's obviously a necessary medical treatment, dialysis. 
because of the vaccine mandate. So the vaccine mandate was put into place by politicians who claim that it's all about saving lives. Well, what about the lives of these people who need dialysis? This dialysis center is closing because the vaccine mandate forced the firing of healthcare workers who staffed it. Now, this Monroe Community Hospital says that these, this is just temporary closure while they adjust staffing levels. And they say they fully support vaccine mandates. And that should make these elderly people and all of us watching this feel even worse because they fully support this hospital, which is supposed to be taking care of these elderly people with a pretty significant health problem. The hospital cares more about enforcing the vax mandate than they do about taking care of their patients. That's pretty horrifying. So um, that's, that's pretty horrifying. Again, another reason why I commend Delta. If Delta wants to lead the charge on this, I will fully support them and saying, no, Joe Biden, we're not gonna do this. We're absolutely not gonna do this because it hurts our patients. It hurts people's lives. You claim the vaccine is about saving people's lives while you're simultaneously, be, because of your mandate, hurting people's lives when they need help. Again, all of these untouchable, unmentionable topics, a lot of conservatives even don't wanna talk about them because they're too touchy. They're too unpopular. They might be misconstrued. The mainstream media might try to go after you and misquote you. The radical left might try to cancel you. But if we're not going to talk about reality, if we're not going to fight back against these culture wars, then what are we even doing? That is what we are here for. That is what I am so privileged to talk on a daily basis with you about. And on that note, the great and powerful Jay Hay says, it's time for me to stop talking today. We are out of time. But before we go, I want to just extend a huge thank you to uh, all of the new members and supporters on the Liz Wheeler Show community on Locals. It's so much fun over there to watch. I've been blown away, actually, by the incredible response to the censorship that we face on big tech. Everyone, it seems, that hears us talk about this feels the same way and has joined us over in the Liz Wheeler Show community. If you want to join us, it's lizwheelershow.com slash locals. There are tens of thousands of us over there. And I know the theme of this show was the untouchable topics, but we go even further on locals because we don't have to worry about censorship. This is Dave Rubin's free speech oriented platform where we can get together and just talk without the fear of getting fake fact checked or strikes against our channel or tweets with misleading tags or whatever the big tech uh, censorship tactic of the day is. And it's so great. It's, it was so great to talk to you backstage at the Verdict Tour on live streaming on Locals. So like I said, I just wanted to say thank you um, to all of you who are already part of this community and extend the invitation to our new viewers. Um, if you want to join us, lizwheelershow.com uh, slash locals. We would love to have you. Also, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating over there. Write us a glowing review. I do read all of your reviews and I appreciate them. Uh, the good ones, at least. Thank you for watching today. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show. The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figuerilla. Assistant editor, Michael Wall. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Post-production manager, Victoria Metzl. Director of marketing, Emily Washler. Production and talent coordinator, Matt Toffler. And senior publicist, Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production.